The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space, two-ton towing capacity and legendary four-wheel drive technology. MitsubishiMotors.ie Happy Wednesday. George Hook here uh, with The Right Hook on Newstalk. Here are some of the best bits that you might have missed on today's programme. In the studio with me is a columnist with the Irish Independent, Liam Collins, and prolific author, it's fair to say, Declan Power, a security and defence analyst, regularly on the programme, and News Talk's own, uh, Shane Coleman, the political editor. A um, little later on, we'll be joined from Dolairn by uh, Deputy Mary Lou MacDonald. Gentlemen, welcome to the programme. Hi, George. Thanks, George. Um, the airwaves today have been dominated, and indeed all aspects of media, have been dominated by one story, the crime. And yesterday, the although I don't think he meant it the way he said it came out, the Dietrich said, Liam Collins, that like we're helpless uh, to do anything about this. Well, he said he they can't, the government can't p- prevent people killing each other. And when you look at what's happening in the North Inner City, you would have to agree, this is a kind of a fatwa against... Uh, the Hutch family and the people who are behind it are very, very powerful people. And I think what's also happening happened is that originally there may have been assassins brought in. Declan would know more about this than me. But that now the criminal elements in the North City have know which way this feud is going to go and they have decided to get on the winning side. I don't think yesterday's killing... It, it, reading about it, it doesn't look like a particularly professional affair, but they got away with it. But, you know, unless you lock down the city, what do you do? Well, How do I'm you prevent not, it? Uh, well, the thing I found, uh, Declan Parr, astonishing was that the Taoiseach said yesterday a thousand checkpoints around the city. The killing took place a couple of hundred yards from a checkpoint. I mean, how does the checkpoint solve the problem? Well, it doesn't. Um, well, what does this solve the problem? I haven't heard anybody tell me what the problem solving it. Well, I don't think there's there's one solution to it. I think there's a combination of solutions, and they're both short term and long term. And what's lacking at the moment is somebody at the appropriate level within the government apparatus and within Angarda Shiakana to sit down and to uh, to work this out and then start applying in, applying it. Instead, what we're getting are a lot of knee jerk reactions. Flood the place for a short period of time with the armed and uniformed police and it's a cosmetic gesture. I heard, was it Mick Rafferty uh, speaking uh, during the week about the lack of resources for the inner city. Now I thought he made a very good point because normally in these times what we hear people pontificating about our lack of resources for the Gardaí and unfortunately nobody ever gets down into the weeds about what those resources are. People talk about, oh, increase the number of the Gardaí. Well I can tell you right now, if you were to recruit two or three thousand extra young wet behind the ears characters from around the country into the guards it won't make a blind bit of difference in fact do you know what it'll do it'll denude the guardie of the experienced mid-management resources to focus on training and supervising these youngsters instead we need to look at why the intelligence apparatus in terms of gathering information and the source development in other words developing informants on the ground I'd bring back in for a temporary period people as consultants recently retired guardie who had those networks and furthermore I would say this we should be do you know what the government should be looking at this as a test and an an approving ground to try and waterproof ourselves against uh, terrorism we haven't had international terrorism Islamic terrorism if we can't get internal criminality like this right we're going to suffer some stage in the future and we had two international experts uh, talking in relation to that in this country earlier this week and the final point I'll make the Kinahan gang it appears as you correctly said are on a rampage what makes them so lethal is that they are transnational they are operating out of a power base in Spain. That's where their money is. That's where their source is. And now, as you've correctly pointed out, um, they're turning the criminal uh, and sort of semi-criminal fraternity in Dublin to their side because they're the more powerful ones. I buy all the way now. I be, I be, Shane Coleman is fancy to get in, yep, but I'll keep, him, I'll keep him hanging on for a minute. Yeah. Uh, I'm with Donald Trump on this, really, in terms of solving it, right? Ooh, that great yeah. Yeah. That great <laughs> of counter-terrorism. No, because I want to give Shane a chance to get outraged, right? 
when we had a problem with the IRA for 30 years, right, mm. and before, we locked them up in the corner, we had internment, and we weren't worried about their civil rights, or we weren't worried about things like evidence or any of that sort of stuff. We had special courts, so that if, I think it was at the word of a Garda commissioner, or maybe even a superintendent, uh, the superintendent, superintendent said, I've reason to believe this guy is a member of the IRA. And judge said, lock him up. And no, so what I want is, I want the superintendent to go in and say, I've reason to believe that this guy is murdering people. Lock him up. George, one problem. Shane. They're not in the state. Those yeah. guys aren't in the yeah, state. Yeah, I mean, that I'm is... Sorry, that, that, no, you, you, you took the words out of my mouth, uh, Declan. I mean, look, if you start talking about internment, we, can, we may as well fold up our tent now straight away. I knew you'd uh, said that. Uh, I mean, like, sorry, just to be clear, internment did not work in the 1970s uh, in Northern Ireland. It, no, compl- you're talking about Northern Ireland. I'm talking about ex- the Republic. It exacerbated the problem. You're talking about... Dev locked Sean Lamass up for crying out loud. You're right. It did work, George, but Dev is dead and we're in a different era. It totally like it different era. <laughs> and the reality I'm not is... Dev now, lest anybody <laughs> get confused. <laughs> the reality is, as Declan said, the key figures here in, in, in this are living abroad. I, I imagine in some cases the Guardi don't even know who some of the people they are using for some of these operations. So I'm not sure. Like there is, there's clearly a failure of intelligence there. I think... But your Paul Williams does. He's on the radio every day listing the well, people. I, so we know them, the I, I just want to say, and I think uh, there is a... The, the Guardi have, or the authorities have been on the back foot since the Regency Hotel. They weren't there. The Sunday World was there. I mean, what's that about? And then they tried to make a virtue of it by saying that some guards might have got shot. They should have been there and they should have been in control of this. There is a problem. I worked in that area of the North City for a couple of years and was occasion- occasionally would take a pint with some guards in that. And one of them who was very clued into what was going on around there, this is before the feud, said to me a lot of the young guards come in, in their cars, park in the station, underground car park, spend most of their day in the station and go home to Ashburn or Manute. Now I'm not blaming them, but they have no foothold in the community. And that's quite obvious from what's going on here. They don't have the intelligence. Intelligence is what? It's like a reporter. You have to have your sources. If you don't have them, you don't have stories. And all the time, they are behind the ball on this thing. Yeah, but you can't have a noble liberal like Shane Coleman. It's not about liberalism. It's about... I'm not a liberal on this issue. I'm all Mm. for use of the special uh, criminal court. I'm all for use of uh, surveillance. I'm all for use of wiretapping. I'm just saying... Inter- like knee-jerk reactions like internment that's that's just nonsense that will not solve the problem what we actually need I actually think is an honest conversation at government and at Garda senior Garda level about resources I completely agree with Declan's point uh, in the, the, the GRA released a, a statement today calling for an extra uh, two and a half thousand Garda Declan's completely right that will make no difference to gangland yeah, crime what will make a difference though is reports for example that the uh, the Garda the National Surveillance Unit uh, has has its resources slashed by 25%. Now, that's yeah. how you tackle these guys, <coughs> with targeted specialists I, who know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, but uh, hold on, Michal Martin, like, was opportunistic and dull, going on about, you know, what we should and should not be doing. It was Fianna Fáil, we're the first government, and followed by Fianna Gael, I totally accept. You're back to but Temple Moore again. That's not the issue. No, but they reduce. The issue, no, they, they close garden stations around the country. Uh, listen, if somebody else says to me about closing garden yeah. stations, I, I heard I heard I, somebody else saying. Yeah. I heard somebody else you, saying. You're not putting oh, forward there any. Was a, there was a garden station across the road from from the the, the hotel in in North Dublin where the attack happened, as if some poor unarmed garden yeah. arriving on the scene was going to stop these guys. That's just yeah, that's nonsense. You're absolutely right. Shane is Shane is correct there. Yeah, I'm fighting that. alone battle here for here, the poor George. people. In Dublin. No, but hold on. Let's let's well, let's inject. Who are the victims? But ju- just a, just a point to note about that. In terms of good policing, where the guards have been successful, it's not being at the confrontation point in the Regency. We shouldn't get hung up about that. It's about where they've had enough information and they've had enough context to ha- interrupt the operation. So usually, the people that would have been en route to carry out the act would have been stopped and prevented, or their weapons would have been seized beforehand. Now that's not happening, and we're not actually getting answers as to why every time. 
time Francis Fitzgerald or the Commissioner come on the uh, air to talk about this, they never answer that. The current Minister talks about resources, but I've yet to hear her get down into the weeds. You know, I think, you know, the, the irony is Minister, the late lamented Minister Shatter would have had more of a, a operational grip on what was working or not working within the Guards today. No, but hold on well now. Shane is, is, is turned facts in his head. That Fianna Fáil <coughs> government and subsequently Fine Gael cut resources to the Guardian in all areas. They cut, they closed stations, they closed Temple Moor, they stopped recruitment, they, like the current situation... All, all irrelevant, I think, to gangland crime. No, but hold what on, is, what is relevant answer, is surveillance. Answer this question to me. Do you doubt that the criminals have better cars, better guns, more money uh, than the Guardian. Now you're, now you're getting to the nub of the issue. Yeah, but that we're n- let's not talk about Temple Moor and Junior Guardy and nonsense like that and Garda Pay. That's not the relevant thing. What we're talking about here is is the, the kind of high-tech operations that are required. I mean, I'd be interested. I mean, Declan is the expert here in this area. I mean, for it, it strikes me, for example, instead of having roadblocks set up, I mean, the, the Irish Times or the, sorry, the Irish Independent were t- today talking about a list of 10 figures uh, that in the in the Hutch family that were being targeted by the Kinahan gang. Now, it strikes me that's a good start and I'd be really interested in Declan's viewpoint on this. They would be a good starting point in so terms you put of it, surveillance. So you put four Mobile. cops outside their door? You wouldn't have to put them outside their door. You have to look at, and in fact, I, I think you're right uh, in that, Mark, but even broader. We've seen people get targeted that I was surprised that they uh, got targeted with such ease because if you stopped and you did a threat assessment on who are the next likely people? Who are the people closest to Hutch himself? They're obvious targets. And then if they're not available, remember in this case criminals are behaving like terrorists, they're going for the available targets. So you you pull the net back wider as you do that analysis. And also, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's learn some of the lessons. Across the water in parts of the UK, in Scotland and in England, in London in particular, they've had their problems with these organised crime gangs. They've put together specialist units and we should extrapolate from okay, that. But Take I the d- lessons and adapt them for All our right, needs. All right, but Liam Collins, you worked in the area, right? Yes. In Orlando. The thing you see that worries me at the moment is, <clears throat> I actually don't mind them. This is a very unliberal viewpoint. I don't mind them killing each other, right? What I'm worried about is that they're going to be killing. I, I happen to be going up there one day or well, somebody's pushing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's happened already, yeah. George. Yeah. Yeah. One of the that, victims was uh, entirely so is innocent. is this the country that, you know, we actually want to live in? Now, w- two things I, I put to you. Uh, with your knowledge of the area, Liam Collins, are people in that area afraid? Well, they're bound to be, yeah. I mean, of course they're afraid. And they're afraid, I'd say, more of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because a lot of people in that area are not involved. But it is, uh, I think, quite clear that uh, nobody in that area is talking. And so, therefore, the intelligence-led thing is important. The other point, and this is an illiberal view as well, we do have a judiciary who presume that everybody is innocent, regardless of what they have done, until a jury find them guilty. And the criminals are exploiting, have exploited it. They have, they have taken over, really. They don't get... These are both gangs. We talk about them as if they're normal people. They're criminals. They've been engaging bank robbery, murder, and yet... They're out walking the streets. But, uh, it they're doesn't, walking the streets. How, how serious uh, um, an issue is this, Declan Park? Do you remember the mafia thing in Sicily where the Italians tried to wipe out the mafia and then the mafia responded by shooting the judges? Do you remember? Mm, yeah. I do. Like, I do, yes. we're, we're very casual about this. We're thinking like this is Hutch versus Kinahan, yeah. like it's St. Patrick's Athletic against Bowes. This is a possibility of of just destroying the rule of law and the way we well, live in this country. George, actually, answer well, the thing yeah, about judges. I will, I will. Well, the thing is, they're not liable to be targeted because at the moment, as we said, as Mark had said earlier, the core of the Kinahan gang, Kinahan gang, the the brains of it, are outside of this jurisdiction. So even if judges wanted to rule against, so it, it, you know, we need to think more broadly. We need to be talking to the Spanish authorities and using Europol and EU mechanisms to uh, deal these uh, people a blow on their home turf. But can I add something?
something and a threat that hasn't been uh, articulated. We talk about the Kinahan gang and the Hutch gang but if you look at how this has panned out we're seeing one gang dominate here. Apart from the initial killing uh, that's alleged to have led to all of this the Hutch gang as such has, has been obvious by its absence. Now They've been taking hits left, right and centre. And what what do we know? What we do know is that if you go back into the history of uh, Hutch's criminal activities, he had close connections to the provisional IRA and to various elements within that. And I would argue that if something, if the state doesn't get on top of this at some stage and take control of it, sooner or later, because it's such a one-sided conflict at the moment, elements, I'm not saying that they would be directed in any shape or form, but people with expertise from within the broader uh, family, militant Republican family, are going to start weighing in on behalf of the the Hutch community and it'll get bloodier. All right, Shane, um, how many, Shane Coleman, how many murders was Al Capone convicted of? None. He was convicted of tax evasion. Yeah, Yeah. well, we have the CAB, like, haven't we got... I know know Declan said all their money's in Spain, apparently, and everything else. Well, they have not been idle, in fairness. There were were a series of raids in March on a number of of businesses uh, connected. I think we need to be careful about saying there's nothing going on, because quite clearly they are being targeted. Whether or not it's effective enough, I mean, I, I think... Declan made a really good point earlier on I th- and I think Dermot Ahern the former Justice Minister made it earlier on there is no doubt there was a major loss of personnel uh, in the Gardaí and, and high level personnel in recent years and I think the idea of taking some of those back on contract is definitely worth considering the other example I think we can learn from is what happened in Limerick I know it's, diff- it's different in, the, in that the gangs in Limerick were living there and what we got was a, effectively a campaign of harassment by the Gardaí or an intrusive campaign to make their lives almost impossible now the, in this case the godfathers are living abroad but they do have their operatives here who are running their empire and that needs to be done, I would have thought, at a minimum. Now, that, again, doesn't come cheap. And that, again, is down to resources. And I look, I think there needs to be an honest conversation between the Gardaí and the Department of Justice about resources, which doesn't just involve the commissioner saying we have adequate resources, because I think it's quite clear that the Gardaí don't have adequate but, resources. But what the, the, the Declan Powers point, Liam Collins, what... The 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 thirty year war did was to create a a profusion of weapons and b a lack of respect for human life. If you went back to pre nineteen sixty nine, I know I'm going back to a different mm-hmm, era, yeah. but it was a respect for human life. What happened for thirty no, no, years no, after nine six nine? It was a complete disregard for human life, and that's quite evident in what's going on uh, today. If you get in their way, you'll get shot. You know, and it's. The, 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 there is, um, when the Regency was targeted, there was obviously whoever thought up this idea didn't think it through. They didn't realise what, or they should have realised what they were up against. And they were up against the most formidable crime gang in, that we've ever seen in this country. It's 20 years since Veronica Kieran. Things are immeasurably worse. I'm going to come back to that because I'm joined online from Dáil Éireann uh, by Deputy Mary Lou MacDonald. Deputy MacDonald, uh, welcome to the programme. Thank you, uh, where you're, Deputy MacDonald, in the studio with me is uh, News Talks uh, political correspondent Shane Coleman, uh, the uh, defence analyst and security analyst Declan Power, and Liam Collins of the Irish Independent. What are your thoughts, and particularly thoughts of your party, on what is now an out-of-control situation in our city. Well, I was um, down in uh, the flats this afternoon, George, where the, the latest murder occurred. Um, and I've been out and about, obviously, talking to people in the community. So, I mean, my initial thought and the initial thing to reflect is that there is great fear in the community. Uh, there's certainly a sense that this saga, this very, very vicious uh, feud, as it's being called, uh, is not over. There's a sense in the air of what next, who next. Um, There's also, uh, I suppose, uh, a level of despondency. I I, I think, uh, to to a great extent, people who live in the north inner city have lost faith in the capacity of the system, the state, 
Uh, and by that, I mean the Gardaí, but not just the Gardaí, uh, in their capacity to protect uh, communities, to allow people live peacefully and in a, in a decent manner. And the bottom line, I, I, I think, in, in all of this is that uh, a number of things need to happen. There's obviously a need for a very robust Garda response a law and order response because order has to be uh, restored uh, and the, the law has to be obeyed and respected. Uh, yeah, there's, so an issue, there's an issue in the, in, in the immediate term around community safety, but there's a whole other and really deep dimension to all of this. Now yeah, but you are, your party is opposed to, your party is opposed to uh, many measures which would be used uh, against this. Isn't that so? I mean, you... As no, that, that's actually not so. And if you were sufficiently familiar with uh, me and with my party, you would realise, uh, George, that we have been amongst the most vocal advocates for proper resourcing um, and for full support to allow Angarda Siakona to do the job that they have to do. Bear in mind, in the north inner city, the Gardaí are down 140 uniformed officers. They're the figures. South of the river and into the, the inner city part again, uh, they're down 160. And the mantra over the last number of years has been exhorting people to do more with less. And the the fact is that you arrive at a moment where that argument just runs out of rope and we can see the consequences of that shortfall within the inner city, north side and south side. And I suppose now with this awful uh, turn of events, with these awful killings, um, it is brought into very sharp and very dramatic focus. But that issue has been there, if you like, festering away. And, and the Gardaí will tell you that themselves. I mean, they're doing a very, very difficult job in very, very difficult circumstances. And they haven't been afforded for an extended period of time the resources that are required to do a number of things, obviously to fight crime, to bring people to justice, but also crucially to engender that sense of community safety, which is so okay. important yeah. for people living in the area. All right. Thank you so much. That was Deputy Mary Lou MacDonald from Dáil Éireann there. David McWilliams made an interesting point today, Shane. It, this is about decriminalisation of drugs. That if you decriminalise many drugs, you then take the money out of crime. Yeah, I uh, look. That's uh, there. There is that argument. I'm less convinced by that argument. Well, Capone I, did it because they banned alcohol. That's what started Capone. Yeah, I, I'm look. I'm less convinced by that argument than I would have been when I was in college. When I when I agreed with it, uh, I think it's a simplistic uh, argument, and it. To be honest. It does nothing in terms of dealing with this particular issue, and it didn't work for the Dutch. Uh, no, it definitely didn't. And uh, where where do many of the uh, gangland figures around Europe reside? Um, in in Amsterdam, for example. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's particularly okay. helpful in terms of dealing right. with this problem. All right. Um, just a quick question to Liam Collins. We we had Mary Lou McDonald there talking about the attitude in the inner city, but it seems to me. And, and just kind of listening to it, that people are more interested in water charges than they, they are about people getting shot. Absolutely. I, I just don't get that myself, you know. Um, uh, but, and there is, she also has talked about the communities and the fear in the communities. Well, the communities could counter that by providing the intelligence that would allow the guards to but at least have a head start. in 30 years in Northern but it's, Ireland. But it's, and it's not happening well, in the inner city. The, they don't talk area, to them. If you're living in that area, that is very difficult to do. It is. I mean, we're, we're talking about these people are frightened and understandably But even frightened. before this started, they still, they're hostile to the guards. They're, there is a hostility as through the water charges to authority. It's not the money with the water charge. Is It's just right. they don't want to pay and they want to attack authority. And I think that the same is happening and the communities in the North Inner City who are very well represented by Mary Lou MacDonald and others, they need to step up to the plate as well. They have to say, we're not going to put up with this. They have put up with 
the Hutch gang in their community for 30, 40 years. Now, it seems to me that the problem in that community is they're seeing all these guys with flash cars and with drugs money flashing it around everywhere and they are enamoured by the lifestyle. Now, it could be a very short and happy life, but it's it's a lifestyle. That, that's some of them. But the, if, them. If, I'm, if I'm living in that area and I see those guys... I'm going to turn a blind eye to it. I'm not going to well, get involved. Well, that's what's happening. Can but I'm going eye. to do yeah. that for survival. Can I add a variation? Now, this is a very interesting take, and I think you're kind of closer to the nub of this <clears throat> than maybe people that have been discussing this previously have been. <clears throat> the community have to have a stake in this to decide to go on one side or the other. Now, what's interesting is if you look back in the history of it, the, the Hutch gang, as it was then, had a very good relationship with its community because there was a Robin Hood aspect to them. If you ask guards that served uh, at that time, they, they, they'll tell you about that in detail. Now, the state has woefully neglected those areas. Mary Lou touched on that in some of what she said. Mick Rafferty has talked about that during the week and various other people. And in as much as we talk about investment in gather resources in an intelligent way, which I'm all for, we should be talking okay. investing in resources in the community and uh, give those people a stake in wanting to be loyal to the state and okay. society. We're talking still about the killing spree and what is now, I believe, a situation of uh, the the very nature of our life is under threat. Liam Collins of the Irish Independent is with me, Declan Barr, security analyst, and of course, news talk Shane Coleman. There's a text here, I agree with Shane, which says the liberal agenda and softly, softly touch from the likes of Shane Coleman is the reason crime is our control. Hold on a second. Sorry, what what liberal softly, softly approach? Just because I said internment isn't going to work. I'm saying hit these guys and hit them hard, but it has to be done in a sensible, focused way. And let's not just go for stupid, knee-jerk, simplistic reactions. That's all. I'm not talking about softly. You can't go softly, softly with these guys. I'm but not we are saying going. that. No, but we all right. No, then we're not going so it's not neither softly, softly nor hard. It's do you know what? It's a lack of uh, leadership and drive. Partially, I would argue, exacerbated by the lack of a government for the last while, because there was nobody to take decisions and to uh, actually. No, but be, let's look at. Liam Collins looked at the judiciary. I mean, I know you, you're not a court correspondent, but you be, you know, the paper was going to bed every night when you Ian. were involved there, uh, uh, Liam. Like, the, the thing is uh, that uh, last week there was a family, a mother and two sons. They had about 500 convictions between them. She was caught with a bag of drugs and 60,000 quid in her kitchen. And, and she... They, they walk away. And not only do, do criminals walk away, but they walk away that with us having paid their legal costs. Yeah, and it, there's a double effect uh, uh, because it's also must be kind of very disillusioning for the people who've prosecuted these crimes yes. to see that, that nothing happens. We live in a system where, as I say, you're, you're innocent. No matter how guilty you have been in the past, you're still innocent in the eyes of the law. And maybe that's right, but when we're faced with crime gangs like the Kinahans, there there does need to be a, a much a tougher approach. And I think it needs to come from the very top. We need to start, you know, attacking them back. It's not as if the resources, there, there are resources, but they need to be, I think we talked about this, they need to be deployed yeah. to harass them yeah, harass them money wise uh, harass them physically almost to shivy them get along in their but faces then they're talking yeah. about their but civil rights and their you know I, we'll get I all agree. this backlash from but can, can I just throw in like in this state unlike other states I'll tell you this for a fact I'm not going to go into details about it it wouldn't be appropriate but in other countries uh, when it comes to innovative thinking they're willing to listen to other areas. They're willing to listen to people who uh, maybe are not directly part of the apparatus. In this country it is very closed. Within the within our security architecture it's very hard for innovative thinking to come through. Because uh, the guards are the only ones who... Well, I'm not, not exclusive to the guards. I'm talking about their, poli- their political and their civil service masters can be very slow to want to sit down at the table with somebody with fresh ideas. Uh, I'm not saying that they're, uh, they're avoiding this. I think it's a 
culture thing. I don't think it's done purposely, but they're very slow to to want to, to consider ideas from without rather than looking at them coming up from All within. Right, and they're not going to come from within exclusively. That's the lesson we've but learned. I rant every week here, Liam Collins, about gun control in America. Every week I rant about it, right? And because, you know, it just in the last couple of days, a five-year-old child shoots himself, yeah. right? Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I haven't read recently there's any city in America where uh, criminals roam free shooting people. Like, but that's, it's commonplace in the large cities. Exactly. Yeah. What They're used to in it. In every big city. Well, no, it well, isn't. Sorry, it's sorry George. It is absolutely happening in every, what we're seeing in Dublin is not radically different. Let's be clear about this. To, to any city, major city in the world. The difference is, it is we are such a small, tight-knit community in, in this, yeah. uh, that we feel it a lot more. But please don't tell me that this doesn't happen in downtown Chicago or downtown Detroit. The difference in those city is, is, cities is, it happens in ghettos. Yeah. And the establishment to a large degree, don't really care because it doesn't affect people's day-to-day lives. That is the, the difference in Dublin. It's such a small city, it's happening a couple of hundred yards from O'Connell Street. But please don't say this doesn't happen because it happens in every major city. Well, the New York Times the doesn't world. cover every day and I read it every day. It doesn't say every day. There's, I, there's, there's, there's York, a fan of short. Because it's been normalised. Normalized. Drive-by shootings, as well, Barca said in the ghettos, not alone that, in, in London. Well, I think we're, we're losing that. the point here slightly because guns are available in you know legally in America they're they're not they're ava- they yeah. are clearly they're, available yeah, here they're clearly illegally available here and you know where are all these weapons coming from how are they getting them it's money and there's so much money in drugs yes. and that is it, it'll buy you anything and it's buying people's but, lives but it also now. appears that if I, if, if, if I knew where to go uh, and I had a hundred quid in my pocket. I could probably find somebody who'd knock somebody off on my behalf. For, for well, for it doesn't. I, it I seems that you get that cheap. And or what, I maybe mean, not. If you saw Jerry Hutch's life was worth two hundred thousand, and then they wanted another two, and then they reneged on that and shot him anyway. Not Jerry, the 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 guy. the guy, the the nephew. But you know, so it's but there's, there's life two. is cheap in 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 those in the gang. Land it is, but, but that's not unique to Dublin. No, exactly, and that's the very thing. We have to ke- stop talking about this like it's just a Dublin-centric problem, because that's not where the solution is. The, we, we, it's established now. There's it, there's an outward element to this, and we have to uh, to look at it from that perspective. And then there's the community alienation element, which I, I would argue is is a secondary feature, but it's also a feature, and that's a long-term issue. In the short term, we have to start looking at this like the way we look at international terrorism. It's it's the same principle in a way. The reason this gang are up operating with a degree of success is because they're able to operate from outside, from a platform outside the state. Have we been in contact with Spanish authorities? Uh, do you remember the big raid? You were talking about Cab and I was listening to, to uh, Mark there as well and we were hearing shame. our shame, sorry shame. my apologies. Um, what what was happening in Spain? Did we coordinate or try and coordinate for a raid on the assets of, of their, that gang at the same Declan, time? Do we still have Garda liaison officers? We do. In Spain? We do. We yeah. do still have because well, well, I, I, some of them I think were withdrawn at the time of the cutbacks. Well, hold on. You may be right there about Spain. I was going to say we do have them at an international level, but. It's not just about having actual physical liaison. We need to be doing the joined up thinking because one of the problems here that criminals have been utilising in their favour, different jurisdictions have different laws. And even though we're all in the European Union, the Spanish have a different legal system to ours. Like our legal system works much more in tandem with the UK's, for example. So when we have to do something of a bilateral nature, it's much easier to do it. Uh, But within Spain, you know, I'm not sure, did they follow what was called the Napoleonic Code of Justice, like the French and whatever else. But these are things, the the, the deputy the head of Europol came to Dublin sometime before Christmas and he spoke about this and the challenges that if Europe is serious about countering organised crime and terrorism we need to join up not just our police response but our legal response as well. Okay. Declan, what about the Finally, issue? I oh. do want to ask a question of Liam Collins because Liam, a colleague of yours, now 20 years since uh, Veronica Gearn was m- murdered and what she wrote about and what ultimately cost her her life we're now seeing in the cold light of day. We're seeing it uh, multiplied. Yeah. You know, uh, I think there was a huge response 20 years ago with the formation of CAB and with the revulsion in um, the, among the general public. But I do uh, think you made a point. There are There is a certain distance. This is happening among 
gun-happy drug dealers. And there is a certain amount of people who will say, let them at it. And, you know, I don't think that's right. I don't think we should allow this to go on in our society. But it is immeasurably worse Mm. now than it was then. And if you stand around Talbot Street, you will see the poor, unfortunate victims of the drug culture. You'll see Mm. them walking up in gangs, strung out, desperate. It's it's appalling. And these people are making money in the communities. And it's terrible that the communities will not turn on them. One piece of legislation that is there and was quite, quite, quite controversial and which you know, me as a liberal, as you would call me, actually supported when it came in, was the offence of directing gangland crime. And I wonder, it's not simple to prove that, but I wonder, is that piece of legislation being utilised enough? And I I, I I suspect it isn't being. Uh, I'm not alone. I'm happy to say Miguel in Cork says nonsense. This does not happen in every other major city. It does. Lisbon, Madrid and Rome. Well, I was standing in a park in New Haven, Connecticut, and a fella drove by in a car and we were playing rugby and he shot a couple of people. But like he wasn't a member of a gangland community. He was just another American loony that bought the gun at Aldi. Oh, that's not the same thing. We're talking about the breakdown of society in Ireland. George, I'm sorry, this is not unique to Ireland. Anybody who thinks it is, is Mm. living in cloud cuckoo land. It's (laughs) happening in... Our our response is unique. Our lack of response is what's unique. And we seem to lack, we lack joined up thinking at governmental level about it and we lack the the, the will to respond. But you are right, this is a threat to our way of life and it is a a threat to the rule of law. Can I I make... I thought you'd never get there, Coleman. This is a threat to our way of life. And can I just add that what what have the Department of Justice and the Garda Commissioner been wrapped up in for the last year? Penalty points where no one got even, hardly even got hurt. And we've been going on and on. Some people looking for a scalp of either the Minister or the Commissioner. And this is the real issue. These are, this is life and death. You know what I mean? Absolutely. My thanks to the Irish Independents, uh, Liam Collins, to a uh, defence analyst. Uh, uh, we've, we've seen him too rarely, Declan Power, and of course, uh, Shane Coleman, who does not share my views, uh, which I share with Clint Eastwood. Hang him high. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, a meeting took place today at 3 o'clock in Dublin City Council at the traffic uh, section because they're going to have 30 kilometre speed limits now uh, across the city and suburbs. Um, Will it save lives? Will it make uh, life better for all and sundry? I'm joined by the Director of Consumer Affairs at AA Ireland, Conor Faulkner. Hiya, George. Good idea or no? Um, well, in the manner in which it's proposed, I think probably not. Now, there's nothing wrong with 30 kph limits. They can be very effective if they're used properly, if they're lo- used in zones that are designed for it. And there are probably lots of those locations in the city centre. However, what is being proposed is a very, very widespread blanket imposition of 30 kph across whole swathes of the city centre, basically in between the, the two canals. Now, to me, that means that you will be putting 30 kph on road that are clearly not designed for it. You will be compelling drivers to behave in a way that would fail the driving test now. And I think there are downsides to that. And I think one of the downsides is we know from experience, if you put up speed limits that are self-evidently ridiculous, that make no sense to the engineering of the road, then whatever your desired outcome is in advance, what actually happens is that everybody ignores them, the Gardaí ignore them, because you can never tell the Gardaí that with everything else going on, this should be one of their priorities. And that in turn just means that motorists cease respecting speed limits generally. We had the very same experience with 80 kph speed limits on country boreens, grass growing up the middle, and a bloody ridiculous number 80 on a pole. It's not that any 
anybody was trying to do 80 on those boreens, but it was just a giant ad- outdoor advertising campaign designed to persuade motorists yeah, that the limits are ridiculous. I, I <clears throat> think that the chairman of Dublin City Council Transport Committee should uh, recluse himself, I think, is the word, or recuse himself. I'm not, I'm not sure which word it is. Because he's biased, because Kieran Cough uh, is anti car And the city manager, Owen Keegan, is anti car So mm. they're not neutral in this. They're not looking at it and saying what's right. Now, I also saw a map, and it seemed to be like one of those old things you bought for your kid, colour by numbers. Yeah, exactly. It seemed it just got a yellow daub, and it went in in Dublin 12 or something. Yeah, yeah. But how, yeah. how do you do that? Well, this is it. I mean, this and this has been my criticism so far, and the AA's concern on this. But and you've been dismissed by such uh, notables as uh, the Road Safety Organisation. No, no, I don't think, but don't believe so at all. In fact, we, we work extremely closely with the RSA. Ah, but they said you're members. wrong in saying that this is a bad idea. They think it's fantastic. Where well, do they get numbers like, no, this will save 300 lives? How okay. do you get that kind of a number? Well, I, I don't think anybody, I, certainly I don't think anybody in the road safety community has come up with that. And the road safety authority, who I know very well, um, are supportive of 30 kph zones, provided they're properly designed. There was a similar debate, and again, it's an emotive one. It can be hard to argue a, a Logically against an emotive appeal. But if you consider the Jake's Law thing from, from earlier in this year, and this was a desperately sad case about a young boy who was killed in a housing estate, and the theory was that if we apply a blanket rule that all housing estates will have a 30 kph rule, um, that will we'll therefore make them safer. And there's a certain prima facie logic to that. But again, in fact, what you've got to do is design them properly. If you're going to use a 30 kph, it has to be properly designed in the road network so that it becomes safer self-policing and it makes All sense right, to people. Okay. Because the, the difficulty, George, is if you don't do that, then you don't achieve what you think you were going to achieve setting out. All you do is you bring speed limits generally into disrepute and then everybody loses. But they, I, No, this is designed by fanatics. And, and well, they are Kiernkopf and Owen Keegan are fanatics. There's well, no I, think, I, think you're, I think you're probably being a little bit harsh on the two men who I, with whom I've dealt extensively before and I've very frequently disagreed with them. But I do think there's you know, there's a certain element of truth in that. I constantly and, disagree. I yeah. can't find one item of, of agreement <laughs> with that I have. But let's take an example. You mm. See, why I think this is wrong. You take somewhere like Clarendon Street, just around the corner for us here, mm. right? Pretty narrow street, you know, so on. Tons of pedestrians walking around. 30 on around. that, absolutely fine. Yeah, probably yeah, appropriate. But yeah. there's no speed limit for cyclists. Now, just on, mm. no, but just on Monday evening, it was quite interesting going home. It, it's a bit clear uh, of motor cars. Mm. And there's a guy peddling about as fast as he can go. Yeah. I mean, he's really cranking yeah. it, right? This is Sean Kelly stuff. Okay, now, yeah. a pedestrian stands no chance because okay. he can't stop. Okay, my, my take on that, I don't actually think the cyclists are, are... But now, you can have badly behaved cyclists and we can have rules to control that. I don't think we need a speed limit for cyclists. No, I'm not and saying that either. Yeah. What but, I'm saying is that in the same... I'm, I, mm. I, like, in the same way as that cyclist was wrong because, yeah. he, because he could never stop if, a, if an old deer or me yes, stepped out. Behavior, obnoxious no behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. it's the same thing in a motor car. What we want to get by cyclist, motor car and pedestrian mm. like it's a fella down in Cork going mad about the green man zones but most of Cork doesn't cross the green zone yeah, 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 yeah. so what we have to do here is we have to know that we're all sharing the same road Absolutely, I think that's dead right. And you can do an awful lot of intelligent things with that in sort of designing shared spaces, etc. The likes of Clarendon Street around the corner are probably entirely appropriate for 30 and you'd almost never do 30 in a car. But if you just colour code a whole section of the map, you're also applying that 30. The same 30 that you're applying on Clarendon Street, you're going to apply on Clanbrassel Street, on Patrick Street, on Victoria Quay. And that's absolutely absurd. If you try and drive at that speed in those locations now, you'd fail the driving 
test, and rightly. There Why is would no you note fail the driving test? Why for failure you to make adequate progress. You fail, oh, and, you, and, you can fee- you, and you know, if you see it in, on those roads that people will know quite well, it is totally out of sympathy with the engineering of the road, and there's no road safety dividend to be gained by this. You, you gain a road safety dividend from a 30, and I'll say again, they can and should be used extensively. There's nothing wrong with a 30 kilometre per hour limit when it's properly designed and imposed. But what I do think is wrong is colour coding a whole swathe of the map and saying everything in here is 30 because then you make a nonsense of the 30 kph Well, where limit. do they get the numbers from? Like, they, do they not just pluck figures out there? This will well, save 300 lives. There's no way. Uh, well, there's, it's not going to... Within the city centre Dublin, and within the canals, there have been, I think, 29 fatalities over the last uh, three-year period, which is no joke, OK? And that has clearly, you know, if there's right. engineering things we can do to fix that, then that's absolutely great. But what you have to do is to look at what has, in fact, caused those fatalities. Some of the nastiest fatalities that I can recall in Dublin City are totally unaffected by a 30 kph. There was a terrible one on the quays involving a, a bus and a number of people... There was a, a, another awful one on O'Connell Street. A, a, a foreign tourist was killed. There, there are incidents Cyclists involving trucks. Cyclists have been killed where a truck I was is going to turning. say where a truck is turning left. And that's one of those awful ones. Now, none of those are going to be remotely affected by, right. by calling it a 30 kmh. So let's use 30 kmhs, but for goodness sake, let's design them properly. Because if you don't, all you're achieving is making a nonsense of speed limits generally. And in fact, the speed limit guidelines recently published and, and, and re-updated make that very, very clear. They say if you're going to use a 30, it must be properly designed. It must be in sympathy with the engineering of the road and it must be in essence well, self-policing. How does, and I'm presuming Ian is correct, how does Ian, uh, how do the Scots get on in Edinburgh when according to Ian there's 20 kph across the entire city? 20 miles per hour, which is effectively like our, our, oh, our 30 kph. Okay. But it can be used, I say, it can be used extensively. There is probably, if you look at that colour-coded map, I would dare say 80, 90% of it probably could be 30 kph. And motors wouldn't know the difference and would be entirely happy with it. But simply applying it everywhere means you're including roads where it is manifestly not suited. Use the 30 kph, use it extensively, but everywhere you use it, use it on purpose. Use it where it has been properly designed. But, uh, Don't we, just use it right. by default. But the Guardian have announced, I think, 300 new cameras, mm. right? Different and thing, they, that, but yeah. All right, but they say that they are citing them where there is a history of accidents. Correct, yeah. When was the last somebody killed outside the Montrose Hotel? Well, do you know, the Montrose Hotel is a uh, fascinating one. I have looked that up. The way, the way the database works, okay, now, sometimes it'll spit out stupid answers, right? But essentially what it does is you look at the collision data for the last five years and you look at the Garda CT68 reports, which are the reports the Garda fill in when there's a serious accident, and they look at the cases where speed is identified as a factor and all of those are put into the hopper and you come up with a list of it used to be 700 odd it's now over a thousand of the worst links in the road where speed related fatalities have occurred over the last five years now in the case of Montrose the reason why that was one of the ones and I looked into this there were actually there were three fatalities but when you when you dig deeper into it it turns out that two of those were the same incident and they were individuals fleeing from Garthi in a stolen car which is a terrible thing, but, you know, obviously nothing to do with day-to-day road use. And the third was was a, a, an individual who was killed having having fallen off the, the Belfield flyover bridge. A terribly, terribly sad thing, but nothing to do with road safety per se. And which then is to say they that, sit there yeah. day after day well, after day. that's a little harsh on them, George, to be fair. And look, I, I, I get an awful lot of this, and usually I'm in your seat, so to speak, having, make, making your points to well, the Guardian. Well, what about if you're coming but, down... I mean, I do. The reason I talk about mm. this is obviously I'm familiar with them. This mm. is where I live. Mm. The turnoff that goes up to the Stillorgan shopping centre. If you're in a taxi, he'll always say to you, I'll just slow down here because they yeah. sit there. There's a lot of that and you'll get people who tell you, oh, look, you know, this is a regular sniper's alley here. You always find them here. And then you also have to look at the times of day where that enforcement is done. I mean, um, a person I know very, very well had a story about being uh, um, randomly breath tested um, at the same location about three times in the space of about two months. And this was about, you know, seven o'clock on a Tuesday evening in a given road. And she was asked the guard the third time, said, 
why are you doing it here and why are you doing it at this time and why isn't it at you know at two o'clock in the morning outside the nightclub and the answer was well this is a very you know handy location to get people and he goes God if I ever was going to drink and drive I'd know not to come past here wouldn't I so sometimes mm. you can query that you know are, are they being sensible in how but, it, but, but to be fair to them George by and large I, I mean I support the speed camera system the Gatso cameras I believe and we've based this on AA research that a, a very very strong majority of motorists also support it but you will always get the, the conspiracy theorists and those who are absolutely like convinced well you're one such indeed they're absolutely convinced that it's a money making racket the guards the guards don't get the money but even so there are well, people in who America interestingly like they do get the money yeah, rotten idea stupid and damn, that's ridiculous why idea. like you because there are cops in every town mm-hmm. uh, they, they the way they pay for the town cops is they just pick people up on speed yeah, stuff. Th- that, well, that must be one of the dumbest pieces of policy you could right. possibly imagine and they tried to do it here okay, and we, but and the AA I mean, successfully uh, opposed it. But let's uh, finally about the listener like again the, the fanatics mm. and I suspect the meeting today was people's mostly by people in lycra shorts and, <laughs> and stuff but they they say pedestrians will be safer. Now, you could be driving at 20 kilometres an hour and we know in Ireland... They just walk across the road. Yeah. The, the aforesaid Montrose yeah. Hotel, they cross six lanes of traffic. Yeah. It, 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 will, it will not work as envisaged. There will be no road safety dividend, which is why road safety people aren't pushing for this. There will be no road safety dividend. There will be significant frustration to car users and you cannot help the suspicion and that Karen that's in Cuff. fact what they have in yes. mind. Karen and then, Cuff and, then, and yeah. your man will be happy. Indeed. And then, so the, the voices pushing for this are, are not those steeped in road safety expertise, but they're citing road safety as the reason for doing it. And I think it would be refreshing if instead they sort of simply declared what they're actually about. But if you look only at the likely road safety dividend from this, it just isn't there. And worse, it could worsen road safety because like the 80 kph on the Boreens, all you're actually going to achieve, whatever your stated aim, all you're actually going to achieve is to bring speed limits generally into disrepute. Well, as uh, when Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford and Charlie (laughs) Chaplin took over United Artists. Because we're doing movies next. It was said... The lunatics have taken over the asylum. <laughs> Thus, Dublin City Council Transportation Committee works, except they haven't got people as good-looking as Mary Pickford. Uh, my guest, Conor Faulkner of the AA. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie well, crowdfunding is an innovative way of raising money for projects that the banks might be unwilling to lend. My next guest is in Shanghai and he's attempting to raise $1.5 million. Paul Salo joins me now. Paul, welcome to the programme. Thank you and thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you want $1.5 million for? Well, we're working on a project that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of variables. So we have we originally started with a three hundred thousand dollar target, realized that wasn't realistic, and we now have a one point five million, and now we've had some pretty big donors calling us. So we'll see. We we want to recreate the uh, physics of the event of nine eleven as much as possible. We so don't want to okay, the Paul. Yeah. Imagery. Yeah, Paul. Um, to recreate nine eleven, uh, obviously you need a building, so you're you, you're going to buy a building. Obviously, you need an airplane, so you're going to buy an airplane, and then you're going to crash the airplane into the building. I mean, in simple terms, that's recreating nine eleven, isn't it? Yeah, we want to we want to recreate to test uh, what happens, but we don't. And this is a really important thing. We don't want to recreate the uh, loss and sorrow that people had when 3,000 people lost their lives. So we don't want to use any of the original images, and I'm trying to tell the press not to use any of the original September 11th images because we're just doing a test, and it's completely uh, different uh, than uh, September 11th, the original event, which affected me greatly. Well, what are you trying to prove? You know, I've spent most of my life overseas. I've lived overseas since 1989. Uh, and uh, various countries. I lived in Sweden, I lived in uh, China, in Japan, and most of my life has been overseas, and most of my friends have 
I, I would say, a different level of certainty of what the U.S. government says is true or not true than the average American would have. And, you know, I've realized that it's a serious issue. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of doubt about various aspects of uh, whether it's, you know, we're talking about the JFK assassination, we're talking about going to the moon, or we're talking about uh, 9-11. And I, I, I took, uh, I was with a crew, a cinematographer. We were shooting videos for my YouTube channel. We went to New York. And then when we got to the Freedom Tower, I was going to, I wanted to go up. And, and, the, and the guys I was with said, hey, you know, there's no point. It's all fake, you know. And I, and I was, I mean, I was blown away because after September 11th, I, I, my brother-in-law was actually on an airplane going to the U.S. when the attack happened. I was in Tokyo, and my sister was in Tokyo, and uh, he was on a flight. And we were scared to death. And soon after the event, I actually flew to New York while the, the debris was still burning. So, you know, I was very affected by it. When I heard that people didn't believe it, and then I started to talk to people, you know, not, not with a judgmental attitude, but just with an open trying to get people to open up and tell me what they really thought. Yeah, I, there was a lot of doubt. There I, was a lot of doubt about various aspects. Now, I agree, because I was in Pittsburgh on 9-11. My youngest daughter was was just a few hundred yards from um, the site in, in New York. Uh, so yeah, really? I, was, I was hugely affected by it. I, I didn't know for a number of hours whether I'd lost my daughter or not. And uh, I was in Pittsburgh Airport, and, of course, there was a plane heading in that direction, uh, which hit the ground, thanks to the bravery of passengers. Um, so I, I've, I've never forgotten it. Um, but, uh, but I've never doubted anything about it. I've never doubted for a moment that it was what we were told. Now, the mm-hmm. conspiracy theories are that the American government actually did this to create uh, a negative attitude towards Islam and so oh. on. Yes. Oh, there's, oh, there's many different, many okay. different theories. Well, run me through uh, them. Yeah, I, and again, I want to say that I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and that's that's partly why I'm the guy to run this project because I want to, you know, I, I'm like you. I believed exactly what, what uh, you know, very simple. Uh, Al Qaeda terrorist uh, directed by Osama bin Laden basically uh, used box cutters and hijacked airplanes and flew them into buildings. Uh, and uh, as you said, one of them in Pennsylvania uh, was taken down by the passengers. But uh, there's there's a number of, uh, of I would say, okay, let's say that there's two things. There's conspiracies. So people that completely believe a conspiracy. And then there's regular people who have some kind of doubt about some aspect. I want to talk about that first. For example, Building 7, World Trade Center 7, didn't have any airplanes hit it, right? It was just sitting there. And then that airport, that building completely collapsed uh, down to the ground, right? As if, it, it, same as a demolition. It's completely, it was a perfect uh, demolition, actually. All three buildings fell straight down. So there's a lot of people who just wonder, how is that possible? You know, how is it possible that uh, jet fuel would, would melt, uh, the, the, you know, cause the fire that would burn the steel and the whole thing would fall down? Um, there's that kind of theory. And obviously there's a lot of theories. Like uh, there's, there's, there's all kinds of theories that the Israelis did it. And um, that uh, one of the theories that's quite popular is that uh, it was, in fact, terrorist, but... The U.S. government knew about it, and they let it happen because they wanted, you know, similar to Pearl Harbor, they wanted an excuse to go to war. Um, so there's, there's a number of theories, and obviously we can't uh, focus on all these theories at once. We can only test uh, a so, few things and test... So what can, you, what can you test? Because you can't test whether the Israelis did it, or you can't test right, whether right, the right. American government did it, or whatever. All you can test, presumably, is the sort of is the architectural test. Is can an airplane demolish a building better than sort of trained demolishers can do? Right, right, right. And and also, there's there's a lot to learn from that test, also because there's been more and more uh, airplanes hitting buildings since that time, and not all of them large, you know, aircraft, but smaller aircraft. Uh, attacks around the world. So architecture and building structures have a lot to learn. In fact, the World Trade Center was built to take a large aircraft, and it had a lot of asbestos. In fact, that was a, it was pending, a lot of lawsuits pending because they had so much asbestos in the building uh, that the, the architect had designed it for uh, you know, being hit by an airplane. So 
people just wonder, you know, like you say, it's like, how is this possible? So I know that there's no other way to do it than to actually do it. Some, some things in life, you just have to see them happen, you know. And, and where, uh, where are you going to do it? The timeline is coming, is getting clear uh, by the moment, but it won't be, obviously it won't be in a populated area. It's going to be in a completely depopulated area. And we have a couple of options for the building. One is to purchase a structure that's currently, uh, you know, in just, you know, already, per, already built, right? The other one is to actually construct the structure. There's a number of modular steel and concrete structures, very modern, brand new, uh, that can build, uh, say, an 80-story building in a very, very short period of time. Uh, so, so there's a couple of possibilities. We're, my job in Tokyo, uh, one of my jobs was as an investment bank in real estate, and my job was to source uh, very difficult to find 50 to $100 million buildings. And what I did was I got what I, I, got the, the, what I needed. I got the statistics, you know, exactly they wanted non-performing loans backed by real estate. They wanted this price, 50 to 100. They wanted this many rooms. They wanted this size. Once I had those, I just, you know, went around and just canvassed the city and were quite good at locating those. So same skills I used before in business, I'm going to use to find this project. And we have eyes and ears all over the world, people interested in the project, engineers, uh, so structural engineers, civil engineers, aeronautical engineers. All right. And just, just basically helpful. So it, we're, we're going to source this uh, somewhere, and we don't know exactly where. Okay, well, look, if I want to send you some money, uh, how do I do it? Okay, it goes back to what you said in the very beginning. The banks control, you know, obviously how we spend our money, and they also control crowdfunding. Because in the end, a bank is behind those payment processors that you pay. When you, when you donate $5 or $100 to a crowdfunding project, the bank has to approve that. Now, we got kicked off of a crowdfunding. We had, we had, we had donations coming in that was going very well. Uh, it was actually starting to pick up, and we got shut down. And uh, I'm very worried about getting shut down again. So the best way is to go to paulthalo.com, and we'll keep you updated. Right now, we are we have a couple of large donors that are going to give to uh, directly to a company, and then we'll have some kind of new crowdfunding uh, link for the people that want to donate. But right now, I don't trust the crowdfunding companies because every single one we've talked to, they they waver. They're afraid of this project. So, um, again, I don't want to, you know, drag it out that it's some kind of conspiracy because it, it doesn't sound like it is, but definitely they have legal issues and they okay. have, uh, you know, they have insurance and lawyers. So we're going to come up with a link. And so if anybody's interested, go to paulsaila.com. We'll, we'll have all the information for you. It's going to be very transparent. You'll know exactly where your money's going and uh, exactly what our timeline okay. is, who's on our team and all that. Paul Salo. Salo is spelled S A L. Oh, uh, Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Good luck with the money and good luck with knocking down the building. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate your uh, even hand there. Really enjoyed it.